everyone. Welcome to Rebecca and Rebecca. My name is Rebecca Yager and my partner in crime is Rebecca Reed. Today we are so happy to have Betsy St. Amant with us. She is the author of Tacos for Two. Welcome Betsy. Hi, thank you. We're glad you're here. I'm going to tell folks a little bit more about you as we get started. Um, Betsy St. Amant Haddix is the author of over 20 romance novels and novellas. She resides in North Louisiana with her husband and two daughters, an impressive stash of coffee mugs, and one furry schnauzer toddler. Betsy has a BA in communications and a deep-rooted passion for seeing women restored to the truth. When she's not composing her next book or trying to prove that unicorns are real, Betsy can be found somewhere in the vicinity of an iced coffee she writes frequently for iBelieve.com, a devotional site for women. Today, we are talking about Tacos for Two, which is your, uh, a recent rom-com that released earlier this year. Rebecca, to remind us about Tacos for Two. Okay, so here is the blurb. It says, Rory Perez, a food truck owner who can't cook, is struggling to keep the business she inherited from her aunt out of the red and an upcoming contest during Modest's annual food truck festival seems the best way to do it. The prize money could finally give her a solid financial footing and keep her cousin with special needs paid up at her beloved assisted living home. Then maybe Rory will have enough time to meet the man she's been talking to via an anonymous online dating site. Jude Strong Worthington is tired of being a puppet at his manipulative father's law firm. And the food truck festival seems the perfect opportunity to dive into his passion for cooking and finally call his life his own. But if he loses the contest, he's back at the law firm for good. Failure is not an option. Complications arise when Rory's chef gets mono and she realizes she has to cook after all. Then Jude discovers that his stiffest competition is the same woman he's been falling for online the past month. Will these unlikely chefs sacrifice it all for the sake of love? Or will, they, will there only ever be tacos for one? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Love it. It was, it was a very, very adorable book. In fact, I think I'm going to go out of order here and we're just going to dive into the book stuff. And then we'll learn more about you, Bets, as we as we go along. And in true confessions, Betsy and I have known each other what, many moons, many moons since many like moons. 2005. So, um, you know, good. But we back. haven't aged that much. It's just time passing. It's had no bearing on us at all. Right. Thank you. You were a pup <laughs> when I met you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. We digress. Sorry. So, Bets, in general, with your, your 20 romance novels, how long does it generally take you to write a book? Forever. Um, I, it, it varies. Deadlines, of course, play a big role, but I'm a, I'm a stay at home. Well, I'm a work at home mom. So I have a day job in oil and gas. And then I have two kids. One is homeschooled. Um, so she's home, you know, most of the day and she's older. So it's not like, you know, a toddler, but it's still a lot of appointments and I'm a taxi driver and a lot of responsibilities. So trying to mesh all of that with writing, it, it takes a little while. Um, I'm also shocking, a perfectionist with my writing. So I don't do the one draft 
spit it out, you know, um, go back and, and make it better later. Everything I write typically is as turn in ready as I can when that scene is finished. So pros and cons, it's, it's easier in some ways, but then it's hard to write fast in some ways because to me, it has to be done, if that makes sense. So you so, edit as you go when you're writing? Yeah, you're writing I do. I wish I could turn that off. It's just not how I write. Because I think there's a lot of wisdom in the turn off your internal editor, you know, instructions and get the story out and then you can go back. I just, my brain doesn't work that way. So it does take me a little bit longer to write a full book, but when I do, it's, it's pretty clean. Um, so it saves time on the back end. Mm -hmm. But yeah, because of that, it, it kind of varies. Um, I usually try to give myself at least, you know, six to eight months um, for a, a full length, you know, novel. Um, novellas, of course, can go a little faster. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to remember how long Tacos for Two took me to actually write. And it did go through a pretty heavy round of revisions um, with my editor. But I think overall, it took me a good, a good six months. Lost. I lost my question. Sorry. I, I had one. So you're you're more of a, a a panster than a than a plotter. So even with that, you being the perfectionist, you're not planning out everything. You're are you just pantsing it and then editing? Yeah, it's um. I'm a little bit of a of, of both. I used to be full plotter, and I've evolved into more pantser. But I'm at the the stage where I sell a book on proposal, and so I have to have some form of synopsis even if I stray from it when it's time to actually write the whole book, I have to at least present an idea of beginning, middle, end um, to contract the book. Um, but sometimes, I mean, usually I do stick to those main plot points. Very rarely has something just trained, you know, changed drastically in the writing process. But usually what happens for me is I keep evolving subplots and new threads that take up more time and, and word count so I'm, I'm, I'm keeping to my original main storyline, but I'm weaving in a lot of extra as I go that I didn't necessarily anticipate. And then you have to spend time making that line up with what you had already planned. So I guess I'm like a hybrid. I'm a planning panster, <laughs> plotting panster, something. I think a lot of writers anymore, and Rebecca, you may agree with this, that are hybrid with mm -hmm. part planning, part plotster. <laughs> <laughs> part panster yeah. <laughs> all right I think I need all more of this <laughs> <laughs> I uh yeah I feel like I'm in the minority because I really don't like coffee but that's beside the point I don't hold it against me please um I uh I think I started out as just pantsing everything and then I realized that I couldn't keep myself on track at all like so I would I've started plotting more just like trying to keep give myself like a destination to get to instead of just leaving it all completely wide open and it it has helped um and I think I mean I'm sure after writing that much that's you probably you have a, a really solid feel for like where those points need to be and things mm -hmm. like that anyway so it kind of comes pretty naturally after after a while but um I I like yeah. having the I guess maybe a um, like a gateway, you know, where it's like, okay, I'm headed to this from here and it keeps me from all the rabbit trails. So, yeah. Yes. And the blinking cursor when you don't really know where you're going next, it sometimes 
you just stare at that blinking cursor a lot longer and think, well, what does happen next? Mm -hmm. So, well, with tacos for two, it has a little bit of a you've got mail trope of, you know, enemies behind, enemies in real life and falling in love behind the scenes. And so it's not a true you've got mail retelling. I did kind of make it its own thing, but that did give me some ideas of how to um, just plot structure some markers to hit of discovering identity and different things. And so that kind of helped give me some, you know, little markers along the way to think, oh, okay, I need, I need to get here somewhere around the middle of the book. And then I need to get here toward the black moment or, you know, mm-hmm. um, so it kind of helps give you a little bit of a template when you're trying to do an inspired by storyline from another, you know, movie or something. Right. Well, it inspired me to go watch You've Got Mail because I don't yeah. think I'd ever seen it in total. <laughs> so after I finished Tacos for Two, I immediately watched You've Got Mail. So the best movie. I love it so much. So much <laughs> That's good. Um, so what was the oddest piece of information that you discovered in your research for Tacos for Two? Because I know you don't own a food truck in real life. So I don't. I don't. And when I was originally planning the story, I had arranged to take a tour of a food truck from um, a place here in Shreveport, Bossier, and um, they're a combination storefront and food truck and super sweet people and COVID happened and then everything shut down. (laughs) And so I was not able to go do my my research Um, and they ended up actually closing their storefront later and now they're just a food truck. But um, I really utilize the internet for... um, food truck, um, there's different styles. There's some that are more trailers that are pulled by trucks. There are some that are actually the vehicle itself is the kitchen. Um, there was one point in the book where, um, the hero wonders, does, does it need gas? Like, do I put gas in the tank? Like, you know, he's trying to figure all this out for himself too, just like I was. So some of my questions, I made his questions as he was planning and getting everything set up. Um, so yeah, I had to really learn about food trucks and the space inside. And, um, and then of course I had to look up a ton of recipes for the authentic Mexican food. So my web browser was pretty crazy (laughs) during this time. It was how to make homemade tamales and, you know, things like that. I think you had to put that out a cookbook scene. companion. Yeah, Rebecca, that. didn't you and I talk about that? Putting out recipes for cookbook. Yeah. 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 You know. <laughs> Food, Tex-Mex. I'm in. You know this. I live in Texas. <laughs> Absolutely. And that was another question I had to answer was, was, was one of one or both of their trucks going to be authentic Mexican or Tex-Mex or a mix? And so I had to kind of look into that too and kind of see which one would be more of a, you know, true for each character and their backstory and yeah, a lot of, a lot of food planning <laughs> went into this one, which is funny. Cause I don't, I don't cook well myself. It's, I can whip up some very basic tacos, but my daughter inherited all of the cooking genes. They went straight from my mom to her. <laughs> so she's uh, it got to the point where before we got our air fryer, we have an air fryer now, but before that, if I was cooking chicken to like put into some kind of, you know, soup or chicken spaghetti, my daughter would be like, do you, do you want me to make it? Do you want me to make the chicken? <laughs> like real patronizing. And I was like, yeah, you probably should. <laughs> She's like, it's okay, mama. You have other strengths. <laughs> that you do. Well. <laughs> I've just accepted it. <laughs> you identified with Rory then. I did. I really did. Um, that was fun to incorporate a little bit into her. And it's fun reading the reviews and 
everyone is saying it made them crave tacos and fajitas and everybody just wanted to go cook Mexican food after. So it's such a compliment that I was able to express that in the story when I really would not be able to actually duplicate those recipes myself in real life. You made us all hungry. Uh, and, and Rory is your, your lead character. And again, Jude. Um, and, the, and the background is, as said, they are chatting online mm -hmm. uh, in a dating app. And so don't know who each other is. And then are meeting in real life, like you've got mail. Yes. And, uh, and then enemies uh, in real life and falling in love. But what rounds out the story besides Rory and Jude, which I think I, I love the deeper element of the family issues and the obligations mm -hmm. and the heritage and, mm -hmm. and the traditions there, that they were both on their own journey mm -hmm. um, through the family obligations. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was one of the things that really um, kind of expounded naturally as I started writing. I knew each of their backstories, but the depth of their individual family issues really developed as I wrote. And some of it even took me off guard. But one of the things I often teach when I'm teaching on characterization is, you know, when you feel like you don't quite know your character well yet, just keep asking why. And say, okay, well, why do you have this fear? And then they say, well, it's because, you know, I was abandoned as a child. Okay, why? Why were you abandoned? Well, my dad this, or, you know, just keep asking why and you can get really deep, really quick. And then use some of that to, you know, make your characters more relatable, more three-dimensional, um, because that's, you know, that's what you want. At the end of the day, you want your reader to look at your character. And even if they can't identify completely with each detail, there's still that sense of like me too, like, oh, I can relate to that. You know, um, I think that's what makes characters linger with a reader is that commiseration of sorts. So when you give them real problems that are relatable, I think it really helps the character's likability and all those things. And then it gives more conflict and conflict is key in a story. So we got to make their character suffer a little bit. <laughs> okay, writers pay attention. <laughs> this is you know, one of the things I thought as I was rereading a little bit of the beginning of the book today, I, you did like such a phenomenal job of getting all those character pieces in there and mixing it in, you know, a drop of backstory here and then, you know, a current problem here. And then the humor is mixed in there so organically too, along with, you know, all of that, just those character building pieces that are just sort of sprinkled in. And it just made me really want to root for, for Rory right from the beginning but yet you also were able to introduce, you know, Jude and the law firm and then with Alton and, and that whole dynamic of his story before he, we even met him. Mm -hmm. And it just, it just was, it worked so well. I was very impressed with the opening scenes of this book. Thank you. Thank you. It was, um, it was actually probably the first book where I kept the original opening. A lot of times I end up changing my, my first pages at least a little bit, just because, you know, starting is so hard. Mm -hmm. And so if I ever do have to really change something, it's usually my first few pages. And in this case, it just, it just worked. It just kind of happened. Um, and so I'm really, I'm really glad you said that. That's a high compliment because, you know, the beginning pages are always the hardest. So it's, it's nice to hear that there's a good, strong start. And um, I think that's really key is that sprinkling of backstory. It's something else I 
I point out and, and teach with workshops is, you know, you don't want an info dump. You got to make the reader care first and get them intrigued with little tidbits like Hansel and Gretel crumbs, you know, being sprinkled. Um, so it's always really nice to hear when all these things you really try to put into your craft is recognized and, and, it, and it works. So I really appreciate that. You're welcome. It was very good. Uh, one thing we have to point out too was your your cast of characters, your side characters. Uh, we just mentioned Alton, um, who I think needs his own story with the chick from the chicken. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we we have a whole series. Rebecca and I talked this out. We have a whole series. Yeah, add it to the list, but it's good. But that's how um, good the characters were. Alton was was fun and fascinating to us. Hannah. I adored. I just, I, I wish I had that black and white perspective sometimes. I mean, life is gray, but you know, she was no nonsense and, and you need a person like that in your life. You need that voice of reason. And yeah. she was great. Yeah. Gotten a lot of compliments on Hannah in the reviews. Um, and I was really glad to hear that she's a very special character. And sometimes she caught me off guard too, with the things she was saying and kind of taking over in a good way. And then with Alton, oh my goodness, he cracked me up. I felt like I wasn't even writing him. I felt like I was like transcribing, like something else was like just <laughs> giving it to me and I'm just here for the show. Um, so yeah, he he cracked me up. I, I really liked his dynamic with Jude, kind of that big brother, little brother vibe. Um, he would be fun to give his own story, kind of have him grow up a few years and see what happens with him. That would be fun. That, that would be something to consider here. We, we, we plan this all out here. Thank you. And then um, um, Grady and Nicole, who who we loved because he did all the cooking, um, hiding behind uh, Rory. And he wasn't really hiding because everyone felt like Rory could cook. And, but, right. and then Nicole, just the best friend. And we all need those kinds of best friends who will step up. Yes. So Nicole was actually named after one of my dear friends at church. She um, she's just become a really good friend over the last few years. And so I kind of did a little shout out to her with her name. So um, it was it's always fun to kind of do that with side characters is acknowledge someone in your life that's you know special to you or was there for you. And so um, I didn't tell her until the book was published. And then I just showed it to her and she was like, that to me? <laughs> and I was like, yes. And she just burst into tears. It was so Aww. sweet. So that was really fun to write. And I love that. Um, I love Nicole's personality in the story, how it's, it's kind of the, the sunshine and optimism to some of Rory's struggles. And I love how they kind of balanced each other out a little bit. And it's, it's almost like there was a couple of different voice of reasons in the story for Rory, there was, there was Hannah, but there was also Nicole and Grady a little bit, but they all had their own spin to it. And I really didn't plan that. It just kind of evolved naturally with their dialogue and their, their role in Rory's life. Um, but I just started thinking about that. It was like, she had several, she, she has a good community around her, giving her, you know, advice and, and love and support. And, you know, that's something else we all hopefully need and want and have in our lives. So, I I, th I think it's essential personally. Yeah, so, absolutely. I, I just love that. <clears throat> All right. Um, I I want to talk to you about your past. Here we go. Sure. 
Because you were greatly, I and I remember this well, the first time you met Robin Jones Gunn. And oh. I know Robin's been a great influence. You know, you've always wanted to write, from what mm. I understand, is it since you were little, this has your, been your job, your dream. Yeah. You don't breathe unless you write, what's your quote that you always use <laughs> yeah. on that. So talk to us about the influence of, of Robin Jones Gunn. So I grew up reading, you know, Babysitter's Club Story, Sweet Valley High, Saddle Club, all those good ones. And I was just kind of stuck on those. I didn't know there was this whole world of Christian, Christian fiction and Christian romance out there, really, um, until the fateful day when I, my sister used to pay me to clean her room. <laughs> she just hated it so much. And if you've ever met my sister, this would make so much sense. Um, so I remember I was... I was in her room. I was just picking stuff up and there's this like damp towel on the floor, which was the bane of my parents' existence, the wet towels. Um, and under this damp towel, thankfully it wasn't too wet, was a Robin Jones gun book. And I was like, well, this looks different than Babysitter's Club. What is this? And I just start reading um, through it. And after that, I mean, I was hooked. It was, I read the whole Glenbrook series. I read Christy Miller. And I was just like, this is a whole new world of of story because it's it's a good story and there's a little bit you know, obviously there's there's romance in it whereas babysitter's club and sweet valley you know there was a little bit of that but it wasn't the main point but i loved and even as like this younger 12 13 year old girl i realized the appeal of that parallel of earthly romance and the way god loves us and the bride of christ and that type of romance and how you know, Robin just so wonderfully wove those different threads into a story. And it just stuck with me. It made me as a teenager feel inspired to do things right, like to have a, a, a romance and to, you know, hold out for a hero and not settle and, you know, things like that. It was inspiring for me um, as a young woman. And then, of course, feeling closer to the Lord after reading a story like that was a whole new world. And I thought, this is what I want to write. This is what I want to do. I want to give other women that feeling of encouragement and hope and, and romance, but clean romance. And, you know, of course at 12 and 13, I didn't really know there was other types of romance out there yet, but that's, that's what kept me reading and just becoming eventually obsessed with that genre was Robin Jones gun and the way she effortlessly created all these characters and series with all of that. And, and I also like you, um, you know, we all know as writers, the, the importance of craft books and they're out there. Um, but Betsy, I think you're more of a yes, read the craft books. But again, like with Robin Jones Gunn is reading fiction. It's the best yes. way to learn. Yes. People come to me sometimes and they're like, should I read what I'm writing? Because what if I accidentally plagiarize or what if I, and my answer to that is just, you won't. Um, it's going to only make your writing stronger. So if you write romance, you need to read a ton of romance and not just for craft, but for inspiration and just because that's what you enjoy. So I, I don't think there's any danger in that at all. I think it's crucial. Um, and then from an industry, an industry standpoint, just keeping up with what stories are out there and what's being published, if that's your goal as a writer. Um, but I know for me, when it comes to the craft books, I can glean from them. They're so well done, but it goes back to my perfectionist vibe. Sometimes what will happen is I'll 
get so hyper-focused on trying to achieve this formula that this author in this craft book is suggesting that it pulls me out of my story and I get mechanical or I get upset because for some reason my X, Y, and Z is not lining up the way that she says it should. And now what's wrong with me? And I just lose the creative vibe, which is obviously not the whole point. So um, for me, I can't read a ton of craft books just because it seems to kind of hinder me. But I do think there's a lot of good information in them if you're able to take them with a grain of salt and still keep your own special thing, you know? Well, I think it goes back to finding your way of writing. Um, like you said, you you kind of edit as you go along. So when you finish, it's it's ready to go, you yeah. know, and others have to fast draft it and then go back and, and play with edit. So it is finding your own way. Absolutely. I yeah, I have a friend who writes um, three or four drafts and she loves it. And that's how she gets it done. And she can write it quick and and she she thrives on that. And she knows this first draft is going to be humiliating if anyone ever read it and it would read you know like a children's book of just you know totally different language and everything and then would be like 50,000 words and then by the time she gets her second draft through it's much improved and 70,000 words and then she gets her final draft and it's you know 90,000 words totally polished and that just stresses me out so bad to even think about <laughs> I can't like I just literally can't well, but I, I think I write more that way, but I think you and Rebecca both, Rebecca can be very wordy. Can I tattle on you, I, Rebecca? Yeah, I had, that's why I started plotting more. It was because I was writing my first, well, not in a moment, my first completed novel, I ended up splitting it into two. That's how long it was. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's... Well. Sometimes I think it's better to err on the side of writing long than not being able to write long enough, because at least you have that option of making it into two books. And it's no problem. I yeah. will never <laughs> not have enough. I don't think. That was me with tacos for two. I was just I, I knew I needed to meet this word count goal of, you know, roughly 90 something. Um, and there's a little window on each side, you know, and of course, there's going to be revisions and you never know how how extensive. So it's not that big of a deal this book just kept going <laughs> and I was emailing my critique partner and was just like, well, this is a book that never ends. Like, I'm just going to be writing this forever. This is my new reality. And it just, there were so many things that I wanted to, I didn't want to rush. I didn't want to wrap things up too quickly. There were so many smaller sub things that I felt like needed to naturally come together. And the more I kept trying to put them together, the more things it was getting out here instead of coming in here. And yeah, it was, the struggle was very real. I think my original draft was like 97,000 words. And my editor was like, no, no, can't do that. <laughs> so I had to trim a lot in revisions, um, but it ended up all working out. So it is definitely longer than my other book with Ravel, which is the key to love. Um, but hey, it's just more, more story for your money. <laughs> There, there you go. And again, these, these characters that you need to continue to write about. Just, just saying. <laughs> um, so is there a book idea you want to write or another genre that, and I know you, you do a lot of romance and the rom-coms and, and stuff, but is there another genre you'd like to try at some point? Be fun to try a cozy mystery. I don't know if I ever will. 
um, one of my good friends is, is writing those now. And I think it'd be really fun to do a novella set or something. Oh, I know that friend. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you do. Um, so it's definitely not off the table. I don't know if my mind would work the way I would want it to, to piece all that together. Cause I think with, with those genres, you really have to plot extensively or you're going to be doing a lot of rewriting. Um, both of which, you know, is not my strong suit. <laughs> so it might be like an uphill battle, but I think it'd be fun, but I'm kind of, um, I've got an idea right now that I'm going to be pitching and it's, it kind of involves more of a treasure hunt vibe instead of a true cozy mystery. So I'm going to kind of ease in and experiment with that. Um, and see how well that goes before I decide if I'm going to do something a little more official, but um, I can't help but just write romance. So there's going to be strong romance, no matter what genre I'm, I'm in. Um, I can guarantee, I know they say never say never, but in this case, it's probably pretty safe. I will probably never do a historical. I love to read them. And there was this one time where my agent called and was years ago and she's like hey there's an opportunity with this publisher they're looking for like a novella set and it was I don't even remember what year it was now but it was like kind of the the wild west days you know with the the school marms and you know all of that I thought I could give it a try and just see you know every sentence I would have to stop and be like was this invented yet the the was this word popular yet I was just constant research and I'm like nope I'm out done (laughs) So I don't have the patience for it, but I love the genre. So for me, that's my escape reading genre where I obviously read a lot of romance and rom-com and I love it, but there's this little part of me that's kind of still on duty when I read those because I'm trying to learn or I'm trying to see, or I'm very subconsciously editing it and I can't, you know, like, it's just, that's my whole Oh, she froze. Yeah, she froze. Well, I'm anyway. Well, keep going, Rebecca, because you can speak a lot to historicals, and we will congratulate you now. We can in public, right, for being yes. chosen with Sunrise uh, Publishing to write with Jody Headland. And yes, we're thrilled for you, and that's a historical. So maybe you can give Betsy some tips here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there you are, uh, Betsy. You're back. Yay! Yeah. I don't know what happened. That's all right. You know, it's it's technology. But I don't know if you you heard about. Uh, Rebecca's going to write with Jody Headland. Um, That's uh, amazing. It is amazing. I'm so blessed to to have been chosen by her to work on these. Um, We're writing a series of, there's three women who are writing a series of three historical novels that are based on her Brideships books. So we're doing, I I understand what you're talking about with the research because that's what we're doing right now. I'm trying to figure out where in my heroine and hero are going to actually be at because I don't know anything about British Columbia or Victoria so especially in the 1890s and so yeah it's it's kind of it's been it's been interesting and trying to like like you said the words sometimes um like I look you have to look it up and say was this even invented did they use this word what did they call it so I sympathize. Yeah. yeah, I understand all that. It's it's a challenge for me too. I'm not really a historical writer. The historical books that I wrote were in the 80s, written in the 80s, which is terrible that that's considered historical, but. It is. <laughs> well, 
Well, congratulations. Yeah. That's exciting. And I will be one of your readers who will not know if you make an error in any of these things because I have no idea. I'll just be like, yep, she said so. It's true. <laughs> well, I, I, it's fun. It's been fun. It's fun brainstorming the whole thing because we have to try to figure out how to fit them all together. So yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Great. So we're, I, it was funny that you brought up historicals because I am yeah. so thrilled for Rebecca here. That's okay. Awesome. So coming out, you have something coming out in October, Second Chance Christmas. Yes. So this is my first love inspired back since 2014. So I had, I think, nine Love Inspired um, earlier in my career, and then now I'm back with this one coming out, and um, I think it actually comes out September 27th, but I I don't know where that falls in their catalog lineup, but yeah, so it's called Second Chance Christmas, and it was so much fun to write. It's kind of a um, uh, trope of friends to lovers, and then there's also a teen foster home for a foster home for teen girls. And there's also a animal dog shelter that they're trying to save. And so there's a lot of really, really fun tropes and, you know, teenagers and puppies and this, um, this hero who's come back to his hometown, who is at first, not much of a hero yet, because he's trying to unofficially, indirectly, he's shutting down this animal shelter. So, but hang in there, you'll like him. And uh, uh, speaking of the 80s, I should have talked about your your part of an 80s rom-com set right now. Yes, that is out now. It's available on um, ebook and print. And I did that with five other authors. And we all took one of our favorite 80s movies, like uh, rom-com or just a favorite 80s flick and did a inspired by. So some are more not there's really no true retellings it's just more of um some of the same themes or a nod to so the stories are set in modern time but the 80s um, connection is all six of these girls are um on a 80s like online club and that's why we called it the 80s rom-com club so once a month they get together and they stream an 80s movie and discuss it you know in the chat room while they watch and that's the connecting thread between the stories. So we, there's a um, inspired by the sure thing, money pit, romancing the stone, some other real, real fun ones. I did Ferris Bueller's day off, which was so much fun to write. Um, instead of a high school kid playing hooky and running around Chicago with his best friend and love interest, like in the movie, I did a girl, her name is Evie Tyler and she's turning 30 and she has a 30 before 30 bucket list and she's got nine items left and she has to finish. She has to play hooky from work to finish crossing off her list before midnight on her birthday. So wow. it was really fun. <laughs> oh, it sounds, sounds great. Yeah. And anything else you're writing or working on? You're busy right now with this out and, and talk us yeah. for two and your Christmas one. And what's There's next? There's a lot of irons in the fire. I'm waiting to hear back from love inspired on another proposal. Um, I've got some plans to pitch some things at conference coming up in September with the ACFW. Um, I've got another novella set at um, pub board right now with another publisher. We're waiting to hear back. So there's a lot of irons in the fire right now. Um, It's kind of funny. You, you, as an author, you always want to keep things going because, you know, it takes a while to hear back on if something's going to be published and you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So you get the one out and you start working on this. But then you run the risk of suddenly having four contracts and four deadlines. You're like, oh, wait, I might not have thought that through. So 
I'm kind of wondering if that's what I'm about to be facing, but we'll see. Yeah. Most <laughs> authors' dreams. <laughs> yeah, it's a good problem for sure. But yeah, yeah I'm also working on um, a nonfiction. This is my first full length or my first nonfiction book. I've written nonfiction articles and devotionals for I Believe in Crosswalk, um, but this is my first full length book and it'll be published by Kriegel. Um, I think, tw- I think next year, we don't have a release date yet, but I, I think it will be 2023. And um, it's kind of a Christian woman's take on divorce since that's my story. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's been hard and interesting to write, but also really good. So I'm excited to see what happens with that next year. No, and, and I'm actually thrilled for that book because I'm also divorced and happily remarried as are you. And so it's, 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 you, you can recover, but it, it takes a lot of strength and a lot of faith in God to, to get past the, the pain of that. So I, I'm eagerly looking forward to that one as well. So Betsy, if people want to find you, where do they find you? Which website and find out all your books? Yeah. So my website is my name, BetsySanamont.com. There's no period. Um, so it's just B-E-T-S-Y-S-T-A-M-A-N-T. And um, on there, you can subscribe to my newsletter. I send out usually just one a month, unless I have some really fun or exciting news. I might throw in a second one. I always do giveaways and freebies. So it's a good one to subscribe to. Um, and then also I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find me as Betsy St. Amont. Um, I'm either Betsy St. Amont or Betsy St. Amont Haddocks. Just, you know, check for both. Um, and Instagram has been real fun lately. I've been experimenting with reels. So that's been hilarious. Um, it's so funny. We, you know, authors, we try so hard to market and, you know, be creative and all this fresh content and you're building your platform. And so my Instagram reel views were, you know, kind of, kind of slowly building. I'm like, okay, I'm getting the hang of this. I pop up a reel of my teenager dancing in a lobster costume and it's like my highest viewed yet and I'm like well that's about right (laughs) so follow me for more marketing tips (laughs) well Betsy if nothing else you're real and you're showing real life and real fun and uh it was very real I come home from Target and she's cleaning house in a lobster costume so of course I turned on my phone and said okay dance and then she did and it just now she's I'm waiting on Ellen to call or something like she's gone viral there you go there you go well we like keeping it real but we like keeping it fun and talk us for two was definitely fun we're looking forward to uh, future reads um I I gotta read the the 80s rom-com Ferris Bueller yes yeah sounds sounds like fun we are so glad you joined us today. Um, Thank you. And we appreciate the time and and lots of good advice for writers. So this one I think was really helpful. Fun for readers because they get to know you better, but fun for the writers um, to to find your own way, find your own formula, do what works for you. Absolutely. Keep reading. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Well, thank you guys for having me. This was fun. Well, thank you again. And uh, everyone, we will see you next time on Rebecca and Rebecca. Yep. Bye.